0: Everybody and welcome to Clearing the Bases podcast with Coach
1: Jimmy Phil and Jerry. How are we doing today, Coach? Doing good, Dave. Beautiful day outside. Going to have a little bit of baseball today. What could be better than that?
0: That's a that's a great day. What? Uh, I'm guessing by the temperature falling up here in New York, that uh, you got to be pretty close to getting getting finished
1: for your fall season, right? Well, the fall season is over, but you know what's funny is that for some reason it just seems to never end as soon as, <laughs> as soon as i'm done with something something else pops up so today i'll be dealing with a little bit more baseball okay
0: all right all right you were hoping to get maybe a week off here somewhere in here maybe uh maybe that'll come crisp between christmas and new year's uh, I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping. i'm hoping <laughs> all right all right nice So as always, we want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. Uh, Our listening ship just keeps growing every week. It's a fantastic thing for us. It really feeds the ego for Jimmy and myself. So uh, (laughs) I want to thank everybody for listening and downloading uh, on whatever method that you have, whether it be Apple podcasts or Spotify or any of the other sources that are out there. Uh, Continue to rate and review us. Uh, Drop us a line at clearingthebases at gmail.com get in touch with us on Twitter at, at the CTB show, right? We're at the CTB show on Twitter. We love interacting with you. And uh, again, we really appreciate everybody jumping in. So we have a special guest this week. Jimmy did a deep one-on-one dive with Jack Smithlin. He has been coaching and training players amongst four different sports for over 45 years. He is currently the assistant head coach and hitting instructor at New Jersey city university I'm looking forward to hearing this great conversation between you two, Jimmy.
1: Yeah, I first learned about Jack Smithlin from listening to a radio show here in New York, and it uh, it turned out to be a very interesting conversation. I'm glad I reached out to him. So, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Jack Smithlin. So, on today's show, we have New Jersey Hall of Fame coach Jack Smithlin. Jack has been coaching girls' softball, wrestling, boys' and girls' soccer for over the last 40 years. Welcome to the show, Jack. It's a pleasure to have you here. I want to thank you for coming on. Well, I I appreciate you uh, inviting me. Here in New York, we have a sports radio station, WFAN, and every Sunday morning, there is a show called The Sports Edge with Rick Wolf. Jack is a frequent guest on Rick's show, and that's how I I learned about Jack, and I thought that there was just so much stuff there. I mean, his coaching knowledge and his coaching experience is above and beyond most coaches, so I thought it'd be a good idea to have Jack on. So, Jack, why don't we talk a little bit about your playing, Dave? What sports did you play? I played, well, throughout high
2: school, I, I wrestled, I boxed. I boxed in the, you know, a little bit in the diamond gloves, a little bit in the golden gloves back then. I wrestled to actually stay in shape for boxing. I was a football player in my freshman year and then had my first knee surgery. And the doctors told me that, you know, back then when 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 you tore a cartilage, they didn't they, they they didn't mend it and you know, sew it back or or scrape it down. They took the whole cartilage out. So my first knee surgery on my right leg. I had no cartilage in between the bones, so um, and my, first, my first four knee surgeries were in my first four years. I was a freshman, I was a sophomore, I was a senior, and then a freshman in college. So I'd be, by the time I finished my freshman college year of soccer, I actually had four knee surgeries and all the cartilage in both knees had already been all removed. And I had 12 more surgeries. Um, I had 16 totally in my career and I played college soccer for 3 years and then place kicker on the football team for uh, at William Patterson for a year. I got, you know, some invites to some football tryouts and I was with the, the Eagles uh, during preseason a little bit and I tried out with the Jets and the Giants and the Patriots and you know so and I had no aspirations of ever playing, you know, professional football but I had to give it a shot. My wife and I were just married you know, like I said, my, my high school career was mostly knee surgery. So in my senior year of high school, I was a very, very, very good baseball player. I couldn't even play baseball because I had just had surgery right after my wrestling season. So I was uh, I was shot for baseball. But I did. I went to a junior college for soccer up in New York State and played there for one year and had another knee surgery. My fourth wow. one. And came home and went back to college at William Patterson College. At the time, it was, uh, I think, Patterson State College or William Patterson. And then in my fourth year, I left the soccer team and I went out for the football team and made the team as a place kicker and had some really good games. And like I said, got some invites. And that was it. I was done. So I said, let me start my career. I graduated college in, in August of 75 and i had a coaching job in august of 75 and a teaching job i was a wow. teacher at pope pius high school in sake which no longer exists and that was my first job and you know i had on, on that team i had like i'm gonna say probably 22 players and probably four of them spoke english so that was <laughs> that, that was a tough one you know and then from oh. there i continued to coach and You know, found my alma mater and, you know, was invited back there to coach. And I I coached girls soccer there and then went to girls softball. And then I got the wrestling job and I went to two other
1: schools. So I've been been coaching. This is actually my 48th year of coaching. Wow. So one of the things that, that really just came to mind, as you were telling a little bit about your background, was that when I listened to you on the radio show, which Rick does a lot of stuff regarding baseball. And I know that the first few times that I that I heard you speak, I thought that you were a baseball coach, and then I found out, no, that that you actually did softball. So how did you get involved in coaching softball? <laughs> that's, a fun, that's a funny story, actually, and, and Rick knows very
2: well. Uh, I, I had a love for baseball. That was my love. And when I started my coaching career, uh, my goal was to get back to my alma mater. I wanted to coach at Fairland High School. And they offered me their girl's soccer job. And then the, the head baseball coach, who I was good friends with, said he was leaving. So I walked into the AD and I said to the AD, listen, I want—I I would like to apply for that job. You don't have to apply when it's available it's yours. So I said, OK. So I was ready to take over the baseball job. And the, the head coach at the time comes to me and he goes, hey, listen, I, I, you can be my assistant this year. I'm going to stay one more year. I said, nah. And, you know, I want to run my own programs. I should have because it would have gotten my foot in the door. But it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because the coach said, the AD said to me, I'll tell you what. Why don't you take the uh, JV softball job for a year? okay? And next year when he leaves, you take over. I said, "Okay, that'd be great. Well, I fell in love with it. I took her team, a JV team, all the way to the county finals. The first year losing to a powerhouse here in New Jersey in girls sports was IHA, Immaculate, uh, Immaculate Heart. And they were just, you know, they recruited all over the world. I mean, they got the best players in the world. So I coached JV for three years. I had a, a in my three years. I had a, a record of ninety nine and eleven. Wow. And my fourth year, which is funny, I'm coaching JV. And every year the varsity and the JV played each other in a game. But, like every other school, the JV pitcher pitched for the varsity, so the JV hitters were seeing JV pitching, and the varsity pitcher pitched for the JV team so that the varsity team saw the J- saw the varsity pitching. But I said to the coach, who I was very good friends with, I said, listen, we're not doing that. Huh? I want my pitcher to pitch for me, your pitcher pitched for you. And he said, come on, it's not going to be fair. I said, okay, don't worry about it. But I was a hitting specialist, so I, I knew hitting. and. Right. We wind up beating them like seven to one. And wow. the very next day, our AD, who is a football guru, his name is Pete Natal, just a wacky guy. He calls us into the office and he says, all right, yeah, you know what? You're switching. You're varsity now and you're JV. <laughs> <laughs> and, Wait a minute. We, we're not doing this. And I looked at the head varsity coach and I said, Harvey, come on. I'm not doing this. He goes, he's out of his mind. I said, no we'll discuss it at the end of the season but I'm staying where we are well we went all the way to the county Finals and lost to Iha for the second year in a row two to one but the following year harvey came to me the head girls coach came to me and said listen you seem to know a lot about this sport you know much more he was the head boys soccer coach i said uh only if you want Harve and you can instead of you going to jB why don't you be my assistant or we'll be co-head coaches He says, no, I'm not a head coach in this sport. You know what? You take the team and I'll be your assistant. So he became my assistant. And that was the start. I never went back to baseball. I mean, I coached youth baseball. I coached travel baseball. I coached a couple teams all the way to the, uh, you know, we won the States one year, won the regionals and ready to go to the nationals. And we lost a heartbreaker when my son, Zach. Was uh like fourteen years old, thirteen years old. So I coached a lot of select baseballs, so a lot of you know um, top notch athletes from the area. I had Jim Burt's son on my team. Remember Jim oh, wow. Burt from the Giants? Yep.
1: From the Giants. Bill sure.
2: Sims' son, Chris Sims, on my team, wow. and we went all the way to the national regionals, I think. And um, we had you know I I, I love baseball. I mean, I coach softball, like that. I coach baseball, so.
1: As you know this show it's geared towards youth baseball but yep. what's what's interesting and and this is why you know your story kind of interests me a lot and and everything that I that I've heard and read about you is it doesn't really matter a coach is a coach a coach is a coach so it doesn't matter what sport you're you're coaching and yep. again by listening to you talk you you know you're one of the best out there and I thought that it would be good for you to, to come on the show, to talk to people, to, you know, let people know, like, and, and my, really my first question to you is what is a good coach and what is a bad coach? You
2: know, I have a golden rule and my golden rule in coaching is to coach from the heart. And a good coach is somebody that respects his players, that treats them all equal. You know, there, there's a saying that, you know, every coach has his favorites, you know what? And that's a true statement. But yes. the great coaches never allow anybody to know who they are. And the right. not-so-great coaches or the coaches that really don't have the experience, they'll everybody will know who their favorites are. And that is not a good coach because now you're singling out others. You know, good coaches understand that they're not there to make the kids the best athlete they can be or the best ball player they can be. My goal as a coach is to make every kid the best kid they can be. My 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 whole coaching philosophy is based around life lessons, is based around earning respect, not just giving it. You know, respect is earned. You know, and when you respect somebody because of what they do and who they are, it's much different type of respect than you respect them because they have the title of coach or teacher. You know, I don't want anybody to ever respect me. or 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 care about me because I have a title I want you to care and respect me for who I am and what I do and a good coach understands that every single kid is an individual and therefore your golden rules might have to change or slightly bend a little bit because this this child might need this approach in teaching and that child might need a different approach there's Bad coaches, uh, in my opinion, are my way of the highway coaches. You can't be that way today. It's impossible to get through to your kids when you have one way and and that's the only way. Because if half of those kids don't adapt, you just lost half of your team. And you're gonna lose the other half because the other you need the, the entire team. So having you know, having a heart. And my golden rule is this, and this is something that I live by most of my coaching career. I mean, listen. When I first started, we were, when we started talking before, we were talking about my early days, my early coaching days. I mean, I was a psycho. I was a kind of coach that, you know what? I had these aspirations of, you know, becoming the best coach in the world and going out there and conquering the coaching world. And, you know, nobody get in my way. I'll b- barrel you over. You know what? I learned my lessons the hard way. You can't do that. You know, back then, kids would run through wall speed. Kids yeah. would run through wall speed. Today, there's only a select, you that will, and you know what? That's okay because you can still work with the other kids. So my golden rule is for what makes a great coach: be nice. That's yeah. all. Don't yeah. don't you don't need to use vulgar language. Just, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between being intense and being angry, and right. you can tell right away. And I've followed John Wooden's golden rule for years and years and years, and, years, and it works. Every time, and we you and I have discussed this when we yep. talked on the phone, it's called the sandwich effect. Yeah, when kids, especially the younger ones, especially when they're out on the field and everybody's watching, and mom and dad and their friends, and they want to do well for everybody, and I don't they, they want to do well for everybody other than themselves, so they're always trying to please. And then you come out with an inappropriate, vulgar, downgrading yell at them, and auto- automatically, you can. Almost see them turn completely off. And what John Wooden's rule was is that you got to get their attention first. So start out your your start out your your reprimand or your correction with a positive. So as an example, let's say I'm playing basketball and Johnny's too slow and he's not getting it over to the 10-second line. So how would John Wooden? He'd go, "Hey Johnny, great in pass. That was a beautiful chess pass." Move the ball a little bit quicker. You got to get over it. And that was a great finish. Positive, negative, positive. As soon as you start with the positive, the kid now is saying, oh, wow, I did something right. And now they're listening. And then when you make your reprimand, don't all of a sudden change your voice and your, and your temper and, your, and and your behavior. Be that calm when you're also correcting them. So, you know, good coaches and bad coaches, you know, there was a, there was a situation years ago where people didn't think and you know this is this is this is very common that you know it's what what stays in the, what happens in a locker room stays in a locker room good coaches don't allow that to happen you know when something happens they don't try to hide things they let it out when there's a problem go see the parents talk to the kid but be nice there's no sense and not being yeah. nice, you lose.
1: Well, I'm a firm believer in in what you just said. I I believe that coaching players, especially at the youth level, you know, high school travel yep. ball, whatever yep. it is, I believe that it's a collaboration between the coach, the player, and the parent. Oh so yeah. So you can't, like you said, do things behind closed doors. I want to be upfront. I want to be honest, and I I, I want. To let the parents know what's happening, see what we're doing with the player so that between myself, the player and the parent, we can help the kid to become a better right. player. As far as being tough, I'll tell you that I, I, I'm tough and, and I will. You can be tough. My, and that's what I, exactly what I was going to go to is that I think that my players know. And again, this is something that you and I have talked about because I let my players know how much I care about them. So, yeah. when I am being tough on them and I'm, I'm, I'm holding them accountable for, for their actions, oh, they know where it's coming from. They know that I'm not mad at them, that I'm being hard on them. And there's a difference. Yeah. yeah I mean,
2: it, yeah, hey, there's a there's a difference between being firm and being stern and being mean. You know, when, when you get in a kid's face and you're grabbing him and you're embarrassing him in front of everybody around him. You know, that's not a good coach. Those coaches should not be coaching kids, in my opinion. They should not be around kids. And, you know, what you need to do is you need to, coaches need to understand that, listen, there was a stat years ago, and I don't know if the the numbers have changed that much. I don't think they have. But between the ages of, I think the ages were 10 and 16, Kids will go to a coach or a teacher with a problem before they go to their parents. Probably eighty percent. So if now you're this mean person, and that kid's not going to go to his parents, and he doesn't have you to rely on to help, where's this kid go?
1: Right, so the kid's lost. We got
2: to gain. We got to re- we got to gain their trust. We got to gain their respect, and you do that by respecting them back. And that's exactly.
1: It. And when you don't respect,
2: do you lose them. You lose hundred
1: percent. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100. percent I mean, you know, definitely you have to treat them with respect. And you know, one of one of the principles that I go by is, and I believe it was Bruce Arians who coaches Tampa Bay uh, mm-hmm. Buccaneers mm-hmm. now, I believe, and he had a simple little quote that said, "Coach them hard and hug them after." Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that made so much sense. Mm-hmm. You could coach them hard, but. And let's face it, there's been times where I've gotten on players and typically I, I get on players not because they made an error or or they struck out or something you know silly sure. like that. It's usually a mental thing where maybe the kid yeah. blew up a little bit and he threw his bat. I'm going to get on you for that. That's you yeah, know, that's mental. You're right. You're right. That's, that's something that I won't accept. But if I do get on him, then what I'll do is afterwards I'll go over, I'll put my arm around him and I'll say to him, I'll say, listen, bud. You know why I did that? I'll explain it to them. This is yeah, what I'm looking yeah. for. Da, 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 da. Kids want kids want explanations. They wanna yeah. know why. You know, listen, if
2: you're gonna yell at a kid, explain why. But there's a big difference between yelling and being, you know, I always used to say to my kids, I'm not yelling at you, I'm yelling to you, you know. <laughs> and yes. but it was, you know, I hear coaches that are just mean and and I don't get it. I mean Listen, I coached at a different college before I came to New Jersey City University. For one year, this happy-go-lucky guy. I mean, every single day, Jim, I would say to my kids, if you're not having fun, go find something else to do. Really. There's no sense. You're in college. The time of your life. You're going to look back in 20 years and 30 years and say, man, was college fun. But if it's not fun for you, what are you going to remember? You're going to remember the bad times. And if you're not having a good time and every single day I came into practice, I would say, Hey, smile. What could be better than this? And if you can find something better than this, go do that. You know, and there were kids when I left that actually walked away from the team because it wasn't fun anymore. (laughs) You know, you gotta have fun. You know, kids are great. I mean, I love them. You know, college is a much different animal than high school was and High school was a much different animal than the youth and and, and the younger program. So it was, you know, and you know what? It's funny because I've coached at every age level. The only thing I mean, I've worked with pro players. My son was a pro player. There was a guy that played on his team and one of his minor league teams. His name was Wilton Verris. He was the third baseman for the Boston Red Sox for a while. And when I used to go and work with my son in the cage, he would come over and ask for help too. And I worked with him. And I worked with him one year and Zach side-by-side t- side a few times. I mean, a lot of times, actually. And Wilton won the batting crown beating my son. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> that didn't go over too well. Right, And yeah. the following year, <laughs> Zach won the batting crown. So, <laughs> listen, coaching and teaching. My wife was a, a lifetime teacher. She actually coached. I mean, she has more Bergen County championships than I had. She coached gymnastics. Sue got uh, Bergen County Coach of the Year. And wow. she got it another time too. I mean, I I was only Bergen County Coach of the Year once, so I mean, you know, she she has that on me. So right, it's it's in our blood here. You talk about youth baseball and youth sports and things like that. Years ago, you know, that was the that that was the mold. That's what parents did. Oh, I played baseball in high in college or b- high school, so you're going to play baseball. Can't do that anymore. You got to give them variety. You got to let them play as many sports, let them pick and choose. And you know what? It doesn't have to be a sport. Right. Do something else. But right. let them pick. And then when they're ready and they know that they got this bug or that bug or they're, you know, gung ho with this. Now you give them all the support in the world. But until that right. point, let them, you know, let them experiment.
1: Right. I I um and anybody that listens to this show has heard me say this, you know, a few times already. And I've always told My son, I mean, my son is 22 now, but when he was playing youth sports, even when he was very young, I would say as early as maybe 10 years old, I told him, I said, Vin, do not ever play this game because you think I want you to play it. If you don't want to play it, I'm good with that. We can do whatever you want, but don't play because you think I want you to. And, you know, it it, it worked out because when he was ready, he had no problem coming to me. And I think he stopped playing when he was like 15. And he said, hey, dad, I don't want to play anymore. I said, that's fine, bud. Not a problem at all. So you know, yeah, there, we were there are
2: still kids today that play in high school for their parents or for whatever. But I made a big mistake as a sports parent. I mean, Zach was gung-ho when he was 10 years old. I asked him, Zach, I know this is a question that you'll probably be asked many times in the, fu- in the future, but what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, well... Dad, you know, and he had his baseball uniform on, he had his bat, he's ready to go to a game. I either want to be a baseball player or a garbage man. I said, What? He goes, Yeah. He goes, I love the he says, I love riding on the back of the truck. I said, Well, I'll tell you what, Zach, I can help you with the baseball. I I don't know if I can help you with the garbage man thing, but you know, we can find somebody (laughs) that could, but he was easy. Alex played because of me. Alex, you know, knew that I wanted him to play all the way up to the point, Jim. That I took him to schools to look at colleges in Florida and we went to Virginia. And we went all the, you know, and I remember I was walking. The first thing I would do when we got to a college is I'd say, let's go see the baseball field. So we go say to see the baseball field at the baseball stadium. And I'm I'm walking in, we're supposed to meet one of the coaches from Florida. And Alex never wanted to be known as Zach's, you know, little brother or right. Jack and Coach Smithlin's you know, Sue and Jack's youngest son. He wanted to be known as Alex. So here he is doing exactly what I want him to do. And he hated every second of it. And we're right. walking, into I think we're down in Florida. We're walking to the baseball field, going to meet the baseball coach. My wife, Sue, and he are walking maybe about 10 or 15 feet behind me. And he I heard him say, mom, what are we doing here? I don't want to do this. And I stopped. Wow. wow. And I ignored it. I ignored it like a knucklehead. And then we kept going. We met the coach. And, you know, and I think one of the coaches, I forget which one, North Carolina. Zach was recruited to North Carolina. And when we went in to see the North Carolina coach with Alex, the first thing the coach said is, are you as good as your brother? And I said, "Uh," oh, so so Alex gave it up. He went out for Penn. You know, he he played baseball at Penn State as a a freshman um, in in the fall. And then at the end of the fall, he
1: gave it all up. And now he's like a seven handicapped golfer. My son is about the same. He's about a seven handicapped golfer now. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I said to him not too long ago, as a matter of fact, last year, not this past summer, uh, 2021, but the summer of 2020, he was my assistant coach, which was oh, wow. awesome. I love that. I mean, that was fantastic. And w- we were coming home from a tournament. And I don't remember how we got on a conversation, but I said to him, I think I did you a, a disservice by being your baseball coach pretty much throughout your whole youth career. So he looked at me, and he says, Dad, he goes, what are you, nuts? So I said, well, you never really got to experience what another coach is like. You always played for me. He said, Dad, let me tell you something. Over those years that we played, we had a ball. He said, I have memories that I will never forget, the laughs and the good times we had. And you know what? In the end, that's what it's about, right? Yep, it really is. I mean, I coached Zach most of his youth life.
2: And to a point, I, I, he was probably about 14 years old. And he was playing in a 16-U team at 14 years old. And the coach asked me to coach with him. And I said, no, let Zach go. But with Alex, he never wanted me to coach, ever. In fact, to the point one time, we were, Fairland had good baseball program, very, very good baseball program, especially our youth programs. And You know, when I coached some youth, I coached youth with Zach. And and then when Zach left and didn't want me to coach anymore, and Alex didn't want me to coach, I went and helped with another team. And, you know, we had a great season. But now Alex was trying out for one of our top elite select teams in the area. And believe it or not, you're going to like this. This is a youth sport thing. This is a good topic, actually. There were seven coaches on this team. Wow. They carried probably 18, 19 kids, but there were seven Coaches, and I called them. They all seven coaches had sons on the team. Ouch. Okay, Ouch. so if you look at it, there's only two positions to make. All right? right, now Alex was an outfielder like his brother. Alex played infield as a younger kid, but he was an outfielder at this time. And I said, "Listen, there's a solution to this." And he said, "What is it, Dad?" I said, "I can go talk. No, don't you ever go talk to them. Don't you ever talk to them. Don't you ever." would say anything so i came to his first practice first tryout and one of the coaches came over to me and said hey coach smith and we want to coach i said "Nope, not allowed I Said, what do you mean I, my son doesn't want me to coach he says oh so i said to him um what are all the guys doing oh we're all coaches all seven of us i said are you kidding me i said so who are you first base he's second base he's center field he's you know so i started calling the kids by their positions so <laughs> All three three of the coaches were their outfield, center, right, and left. So I said to Alex, I said, give it a shot. Beat one of them out. And he did. He beat one of them out. And, he, you know, he got a little playing time at the beginning, and then he just won the position over. And, you know, one of the outfielders moved to one of those other open slots. I think it was third base. So it was crazy. And, you know, parents coach, you know, there's no bigger heart than a heart of a volunteer. Right. but. Here's my, and this is, I talk to Rick about this all the time, but if you're going to volunteer, know what you're doing. Right. Don't just go out there and volunteer and have no clue about how to hit or how to field ground balls. Get online, get books, go to the library. I mean, I know the libraries is obsolete these days, but you have a phone with so much knowledge in front of you. Find out how to coach, realize what you're, learn the rules. But these guys so, don't, you know, and it, they don't. And it, it, it's tough because kids are being taught the wrong thing today. And I see it at the highest level, Jim. I see yeah. it at the highest level. I work at a place called Fred Hill Academy. Now, Fred yep. Hill was the head coach at Rutgers University. Rutgers. He's in the yep. Rutgers Hall of Fame. Yep. This guy was a, you know, Zachary was recruited by about 30 Division One baseball schools. And Rutgers didn't even know who he was. Right? Wow. Our own state university. And they met in the regionals of the NCAAs, um, Penn State. It was Penn State, uh, North Carolina, Rutgers, and Army. And Penn State wound up beating all of them. And and at the time, um, North Carolina was number two in the nation. So we played Army in an elimination game. Boom, Rutgers lost to North Carolina. We had to play Rutgers. And in the game, Zach, you know, Went three for four in the game, three stolen bases, and threw the tying run out at home on the last play of the game. And when Fred Hill was interviewed, he said, they said, Would you have done anything different? He says, Yeah, I would have recruited Smith. <laughs> and Fred and I and Fred and I became very good friends. Well, I work at Fred Hill Academy now, and I work along these these club coaches, okay, that have no clue what they're teaching. And they and and hit it. I mean, You know, listen, they have no clue what the two types of hitting are, rotational and linear. All right. There's a a little linear in all rotational swings, but rotational swings is no movement of the head, shifting away from the, they have no clue. And I'll say to one of them, you know, what are you teaching? He goes, "Ah, I'm I'm being, I'm teaching what I was taught 25 years ago. Okay. Well, that's obsolete, pal. I mean, learn what you're doing. And they're taking $80, uh, you know, an hour from these yeah. kids. So, yes. it, it's, so it, it's, it's a crazy, And as Rick always says, it's a wild, wild west out there. And there's too many club teams making too much money and not teaching.
1: So our last episode, we had on a coaching coordinator for a Little League out of Richmond, Virginia. Uh-huh. And the subject came up about what you were just saying about volunteers. And again, I believe that volunteers you know, you should tip your hat to them. They, you know, they're, they're volunteering to help without them. Youth sports are lost. So you need that. Mm -hmm. However, what you just said, you're volunteering. And I said this in the last episode. So those, those of you out there that listened to the last episode, I'm repeating myself. When you volunteer, you volunteer to do a job. It's a job that you're volunteering to do. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be at the level of a coach Smithlin. But like you said, learn the basics of hitting, learn the basics of base running, learn the basics of outfield play, infield play, and teach the boys, because that's what you're actually volunteering to do. You're actually volunteering to teach them, not to babysit. Right. So it's your responsibility to go out and learn. And again, to your point, you could go to USA Baseball and they have practice plans and um, drills and everything that are it's already made for you because so all you have to do is look it up print it out and bang you're done you could go to practice and you can help and you also have sheets that will tell you what you're looking for if you're doing mm-hmm. a particular drill um right. let's say you you know you're doing a fielding drill you know how their gloves should be positioned and stuff like that so that people that don't know have it for them and yeah. you know I'm, I'm a big is- believer
2: Go ahead. Well, I, I agree with everything you just said. And, you know, like, like I said before, the, you know, there's no bigger heart than the heart of a volunteer. But like you said, you're taking a job. And you also have to remember that you're guiding, you're guiding these kids through life lessons, teaching them about respect and responsibility and, and commitment and all and, and showing initiative and persevering through, you know, hard times and things like that. This is part of, that's what athletics teach us. I mean, one of the things that athletics teaches us is responsibility and commitment, you know. And I always taught my kids that if you're committed, you commit. You you stay with that program until the end, and then you can walk away. But don't you ever, ever think about. Now, if there's situations where there might be being abused or bullied, those are different that's reasons.
1: Different. You that's know? different.
2: You know. My wife introduced me to a book years ago, and it was written by Sven Nader. Now I don't know if you know that name, but Sven no. Nader played for John Wooden. Okay. And this is what being a team player is. John Wooden tracked this kid. He was from Sweden, and he came in in his junior year of high school in a local, you know, um, high school near UCLA, and Wooden knew knew all about him. He was six foot ten or six foot eleven, and he said to this kid. That you know, I'm going to track you, and I would I'm going to recruit you at the end of your senior year of high school. And he said, "I would love it. I would love to play for UCLA." He said, "Fine." Well, he calls him into the office on recruit day, and he sits him down and he says, "Are you a tr- are you a true team player?" And Sven said, "Of course I am, coach." He goes, "Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a ultimatum here. All right, you're going to play for me for four years. You're going to be my backup center. you will probably." Never start a game, okay, and you're here for one reason, to make us the best team we can be. So he said, well, how can I do that if I'm not going to play? He says, you're going you're to beat up Bill Walton every single day, okay, and you're going to make Bill Walton, and you're going to be ready to fill in when he gets hurt because he's, you know, he has bad knees, no problem. He said, but you got to give me an answer right now. So he said, but I can go play at other schools. And he says, and if that's what you want to do, Sven, I will gladly write any type of recommendation or call anybody you want. Okay. But I asked you the question. He said, can I think about it? And John Wooden stood up, put his hand out and said, thank you. It was great meeting you. If you need any help going anywhere else, please let me know. And Sven started to walk out the door and he stopped and he said, you know what? I'll do it. Am I too late? And, and John Wooden said no, but if you would have walked through that door, you would have been too late. So he winds up doing it. And at That's... the end of Bill Walton's career, when he was accepting the Naismith Award for the best NCAA basketball player, they asked him, who was the best center you played against during your four years? He goes, Sven Nader. Sven <laughs> got drafted in the first round. He was the Olympic star of the, of the Olympics that year or two years later. And he signed a multi-million dollar back then contract for basketball. So that's being a true team player. But he wrote a book about Bill Walton. And the book was called, You Haven't Taught Until They Have Learned. And if they're not learning, you're not teaching. They're not teaching. So what you have to do as a coach, as a teacher, as a mentor, as a parent, if they're not adapting to what you're trying to teach, don't expect them to change their method. You change your method. Exactly. And that's when we talked about good coach, bad coach.
1: That makes a good coach. Too. Well, that you know, that, understanding that—that's an awesome story because, again, that that shows you, and and who better, you know, than John Wooden for for uh, a message like that to come from. But yeah. and it's something that I live by as a coach, and th- there's no better example than. Be brutally honest with your players. Yeah, exactly. He was straightforward. He
2: said, You're not and I'm gonna tell you, from what I remember reading in the book, and Sven wrote the book about about John Wooden. So, you know, what I remember reading in the book, I think Sven Nader started like six games in four years. Wow. But he still, you know, every time Bill got tired, Sven went in. You know, he said, I think in the four years, Sven and Bill we're on the floor maybe four times together in four right. years. So, right. I mean, that's a good one. That, 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 that's, that's... That's, and that's a, that was in the book, and I remember reading it, and I read the book twice, two or three times. But, you know, those coaches are not my way of the highway coaches. And, you know, I also read a book. I can't remember his name. Er, er, he was a football player, NFL football player. He wrote. Inside out coaching, coaching from the heart, from the inside of your body out, showing kids that you have passion, that you feel for them, that you love them, that you care for them, just like you do. You can get in their face. Some kids like it when you get in their face. Don't be mean. Don't be rotten. Don't be inappropriate. Be stern with them. And then, like you said, at the end of the game or maybe the next play, put your hand on your shoulder. Say, hey, good job. I'm glad you understood. You know, and if, you know, and kids have to be able to come to you. A if, if, if Good coaches are the kind of coach that a kid will not hesitate to come to you with a problem. Absolutely. Know, I'm, I'm in the process of writing a book right now with a very, very famous author in New York City. His name is David Fisher. He's written 21 or 24 New York Times bestsellers. He's written books with Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, uh, Joe Theismann, Tug McGraw. I mean, he's written books with two presidents. So this guy's written books like you can't believe. And I had the pleasure of teaching his his learning disabled son and taking him under my wing. And, you know, Dave and I stayed friendly. And just recently, his son, who we had talked about when he was in fifth grade, all the way up to his high school years, I mentored him after after I had him in middle school, but I continued to mentor him all the way through high school and He sat at the table about five or six months ago with his dad, with David. And he said, uh, the kid's name was Bo. And he said, um, dad asked him, I believe, you know, what, if you have one thing that got you where you are today, you know, what would it be? He says, well, dad, at the community school, you know, the teachers were just fabulous. The teachers understood my problem. Nobody bullied us. They didn't allow bullying. And, and. And he said, and he said, and Coach Smithlin just, you know, watched over me and made sure that I made mistakes and then explained why I made the mistake. He didn't stop me from making mistakes because making mistakes is part of learning and growing. You know, you know, the most important tool in success, you know, is failure. So yes. you learn from your failures and Bo learned that. And he said, wow. So David called me up. Maybe uh, five months ago, and he said, "You have a story to be told." I said, "What? What kind of story do I have to be told?" I said, "I always <laughs> wanted to write a book on hitting." You know, he said, "No, nah, no, you're not writing a hitting book." So we took. He took me out for breakfast, and we sat down for almost two hours. And he says, "We're going to write a book about mentoring, about how your life changed from when you were a coach in 1975 to where you are today." And I'm in the process. I'm he, that's he fantastic. Probably going to be a. a 10 to 12 chapter book I'm already on
1: chapter eight so that's fantastic when it when it comes out I better get a text message from you telling me it's out (laughs) so I can read it hey listen (laughs)
2: if if it happens you know you know Rick Wolf said you know you better autograph one it's I mean Rick you know Rick's written about 11 books and you know he wrote I mean his his the two books that just stand out in fact quick story and I think maybe you and I had talked about this before but he wrote uh, The Secrets of Sports Psychology Revealed. Yep. That was like, that is the layman's term book to the mental game of baseball, if you've ever read that book. Yes. Have you ever read that?
1: Yeah, well, I read parts of it. I, I didn't okay. read the whole uh, book.
2: Jim, you know, it was written by his mentor, H.A. Dorfman. He okay. was the first sports psychologist in Major League Baseball. And that's what Rick became after he, his playing days were over. And he was the, Rick was the sports psychologist for the Cleveland Indians. And he wrote a book called The Mental Game of Baseball. Well, Rick's book is basically the same book in layman's terms that grandmothers and grandfathers could understand it. So, you know, it, it was such a part of, of history with his book. And the other book was the, um, Sports parenting edge. Now he wrote that book. Did you hear this story? He wrote that book 20 years ago. Wow. And it was a it was a flop, a flop, a complete flop. Right. And I said, you know, I'm looking online, Rick. I see all your books, but I can't seem to find this book. I read every one of Rick's books. I said, I can't, I can't seem to find this book. He says, Jack, it was a flop. He says, I sold the rights back to the publishing company. I said, Really? I said, how do I get a he says? I have one copy and it's in my library. I don't. I don't know how you can get another copy. I said, "All right, well, let me look." So I, two or three days later went by, and Rick said, "You find it yet?" I said, "No, I'm still looking." And two days later, I got in the mail his copy. Oh, really? He said, "This is my gift to you." So I read the book, Jim, and I said, "Oh my God!" I said, <laughs> "You know why it was a flop twenty years ago? Because you were so ahead of." He talked about social media being a problem to kids. He talked about travel teams taking over high school programs. He talked about all the stuff that's happening today. So I said, listen, you knucklehead. I said, do yourself a (laughs) favor. Get the rights back to that book. He said, really? I said, read it again. So, you know, he had all his notes and stuff. And he he said, all of a sudden, he never told me what he was doing. He did it secretly. He bought the rights back to the book. He rewrote the book and he dedicated it to me. Wow, and I get a copy in the mail and I wow. see this, you know, this I, I see Sports Parent the Sports Parenting Edge by Rick Wolf. And then it said dedicated and on the first page you turn in dedicated to a great coach Jack and then he wrote a little paragraph about and I said, "Oh my god." I mean, That's... and he never told me he was doing it.
1: Right, right. That's great. That's a fantastic story. So for those of you out there, I'm just going to uh, mention it once again. We're talking about Rick Wolf and Rick Wolf has a show every Sunday morning on WFAN radio in New York. It's great for people that are involved in youth sports to listen to it. Rick's show is is fantastic. It's on early in the morning on Sundays so you do have to get up early, but believe me, you get up early. You listen to the show. Rick Wolf is the real deal. You'll learn a lot of good stuff there, and that—that's where that—that's how I met or knew of Jack, and that's—that's that's why I wanted to get him on the show. But yeah, that's a great story, Jack. You know, it—it it, it, you know what's funny is that they're on right now. They have a
2: new director of the of the station. The guy's name is Spike. And I don't know what that stands for, but but the old guy <laughs> was um, Mark Chernoff. Big time. Okay. You know, his son is like the general manager of one of the NFL teams. So Mark left and this guy took over and now the NFL and they have all these gambling shows, you know, that have, that, that 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 the fans making millions and trillions of dollars with these gambling shows. They pushed Rick to seven o'clock in the morning on NFL during NFL season, but he's normally on at eight. And he might be moving to primetime nine because his show is doing so unbelievably well,
1: but that's not going to happen for a while. So, Well, the other thing too, that people need to know is if you can't get up early on Sunday mornings to listen to it, and especially people that are out on the West coast, because you know, that's real early for you guys on the West coast, but you can, you can go online and search for his podcast. It's called the sports edge. And you know, really, if, if you listen to this podcast, you you should listen to rick's Show because it's a fantastic show. Yeah, he's but, this week's going to be a good
2: topic. Where we're doing it, he might. I think he might. He, he just texted me about an hour before we got on, and he texts me. He says, "Can I call you tomorrow?" He says, "Our show on Sundays about how does a parent pick a youth travel or club baseball team?" Now, you know, you can pick. I mean, parents don't have a clue. You know, if a a club coach comes up to a parent and says, oh, I'd like for your son to leave Little League and come play on my club team, oh, my God, it's, you know, but they don't understand, and this is something that I researched for a long time, the last, I'm going to say last six or seven years. I'm going to say, Jim, that probably 80% of all the club programs out there are all about the money. They don't instruct. They have a practice or two during the week. They play on the weekends. They charge you, you know, somebody's club teams are charging you for a all-year-round program. You know, you play in the spring, you play in the fall, you play in the summer, you work out in the winter, $10,000, $15,000, you know? And then some of these coaches give lessons to their players and take money from them doing lessons, which I think is unethical, but, you know, it, you know it's, well, it's not against the law.
0: But... Well, um, you know, um, me, um,
2: go ahead.
1: No, no, go ahead. Finish what you were saying. But yeah,
2: these, these coaches, you know, I mean, these teams are... You know, here, let's put it this way. 15 years ago, Bergen County, okay? 15 years ago, Bergen County, where I lived, we have 90 high schools in Bergen County. Right. There were three girls club teams and probably maybe five club baseball teams. Right. Now there's probably 35 club girls and probably 50 club boy teams. I mean, just, to, you know. There's probably it, even more than that. I'm telling you, it's just, and you're telling it, in some of these clubs they don't instruct they don't teach i mean i have a club team that i'm a actually a consultant for i didn't want to join them but they're called the tsunami nice program very nice program it's a girls program um softball and i come in and i do some hitting clinics and stuff like that for them and and they always have instructors in there and they're always instructing three nights a week they practice they practice Three nights a week, two are instruction, one is gameplay or scrimmaging, and then they go play, you know, a weekend tournament here and there. They don't charge a lot of money, but the money you're spending, you're getting instruction, and you're getting it from quality coaches. They bring in, they bring in college coaches and things like that. So, but there are other club programs that, you know, just the way Daddy Ball started, you know. Sure. Hey, listen, sure. you know, I can start a club too. I don't have to be You know, and I I don't have to have a license to do this. Nobody, nobody's telling me I can't charge, you know, $500 for a, for a session or whatever. And it's like Rick said, and then I personally think Rick would be an unbelievable commissioner for youth sports. I mean, you know, he's he's on the committee for the national youth sports organization. He was the president at one point, I believe. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's into the youth sports. So this week, it's you know it's um, how do you pick a
1: travel club or select team, and well, I, I have got, I, I have a
2: whole theory on it.
1: So I tell you, I'll I'll uh, I'll definitely be listening. You know, Sunday morning, I want to hear about it. But I mean, I'm I'm not sure if you know this, but I'm heavily involved in travel baseball just as much yeah. as I'm a high yeah. school coach. Yeah, and yeah. number one, none of my high school players play for me. You know, they're in the travel season, yeah. well, but I will. In the summer, they can, right? They can, here, but I. do yeah, here I don't in New Jersey,
2: that. here in New Jersey, a high school coach cannot be with their kid during the school year unless it's in season. So they can't even go to a workout. So, so let's just say the baseball coach starts a winter program for his kids. He can't be there; has to right. be all outside people.
1: Right.
2: And he can't be affiliated with the school. Most of them are run by parents. Yep. OK, and then you get then you get all these crazy things happening where the coach becomes good friends with this parent. And all of a sudden, this kid becomes the starter. It's just you're you did it exactly right.
1: You know, yeah, don't that, ever allow your high
2: school kids to play on your club program.
1: I, I don't want that to me. It's a conflict of interest. And again, it, really it only is. brings it can only bring bad things. But being involved in travel baseball, as long as I have been. Everything that that, you know, you have said and everything that Rick has said about, you know, it being the wild, wild west, that, that, there's no truer words to explain it than it being the wild, wild west. There is everything from, you know, like you said, daddy ball to guys that are taking money. There's very few that are in it for the kids. OK, and, you know, where well, they're the, in the, it the, for at least one kid. <laughs> oh exactly right and what happens is when they play for a travel organ, let's say you know they, they come and they play for our travel organization and again one of the things that i said i'm brutally honest i'm going to tell you you know if you come to me and you say why isn't my kid playing shortstop well i'm going to have an answer for you it's not because i don't like the kid he's not right. a shortstop yeah. and i will give the reasons why whatever but if that parent doesn't like my answers right away he leaves takes his kid and he'll go start a travel team and to your point he may not have a baseball background. He doesn't know. And they grab a bunch of kids. And who's losing out of this? The kids. Right. Right. It's always the kids. And the, the, the travel baseball. And again, we, we talked about it in our first, second, and third um, episodes of this podcast. One was about coaching the coaches. One was about what's wrong with Little League. And the third one was tra- what, about travel baseball. And we spoke about what you just said. There needs to be some type of governing body for oh, travel definitely. baseball. There has to be, definitely.
2: I mean, listen. So I work for. I work for. I, I, well, I didn't work. I consulted with a with a with a team down in um, where were they? Brick or no? Down by um, oh god, down central Jersey. A girls' softball program, very good program, excellent. There were three hundred girls. In the program, but only 150 to 200 played the others waited like shark teeth for somebody to leave and I can fill in but There now what they paid for was much less than the travel kids the kids that were actually playing the games So when I went down here about three, I was working with a girl there She was one of my hitters private hitters a girl named Caroline uh, Beretta. She's now Um, In her senior year at Marist University, D1, she was Rookie of the Year in her freshman year. She was all regional in her sophomore year. She was all conference and regional, and she was all American in her junior year. And this kid, I believe, don't call me on it, but I believe, this kid is just, I mean, she played in her senior year of high school. I think she got up 150 times and didn't strike out. I mean, she just put the ball in play. But this kid was a classic kid. So she played for the Venom. And when she went from a 100-hitter to a 350-hitter, the coach said, you know, what's going on? Well, I'm seeing a coach up in northern New Jersey. Well, bring him down. So she invited me down one day, and he invited me to do some work with the girls. And I did. And it became a regular basis. But he ran it the right way. He instructed those kids that were not playing on their tournament teams. He got them games during the week. Very very well organized. Very inexpensive, and you know what? They did it the right way. There were clubs yeah. out there; they just do it for the money. And it's it's like you said: who gets hurt? The kids get hurt. The, the kids, kids get, get, hurt. get hurt all the time. It, one of the things they, you know, one of the things that Rick got me involved in, and this is something that you might want to look into the future, and it doesn't have to be me or even Rick. But Rick does symposiums. I mean, he goes out and speaks about sports psychology, he speaks about sports parenting. Well he invited me to one of his at Montclair state a couple of years ago, um, maybe about three years ago. And he introduced me, put me up on stage just out of the blue. And I started talking for a couple minutes and at the end of the show, at the end of his symposium, um, you know, I watched the rest of it. He and I went out for a cup of coffee and, and he said, you know what, Jack, he said, you should be doing these. And I said, you kidding me? You know, here I am. Seriously, Jim, if you, if, if if two years ago you would have said to me that I'd be writing a book, doing symposiums, coaching at the college level, um, doing lessons, you know, I did my own radio show. I don't know if you know the show out on Long Island called WGBB 1240 Sports Talk Radio. I was the host of that show for a year. Uh, On Sunday nights from, I think, 8 to 9 o'clock, I talked about Youth sports
1: sports. and high
2: school sports and life lessons and the things that we, you know, coaches and teachers are very powerful people. They have more power than they know. And the problem is, is that so many coaches and teachers don't use the power the right way. I mean, the power should be used in molding, mentoring, guiding, teaching, you know, not yelling and screaming and Trying to, you know, get kids to do something Because you think it has to be done You know, kids have yeah. a mind Of their own, and one of the things I've always said on Rick's show was that We as parents, we as adults Sometimes, we don't think, we're impulsive Everybody's impulsive But impulsivity can be trained It can be controlled It is an emotion And I have a golden rule And my wife was just talking to me About it tonight, kind of yelling at me Because I didn't do it Um <laughs> But think before you speak and think before you act. And sure. what you should think about are the consequences to what you're going to say or do. And when I right. worked with some special ed kids for over 30 years, I had a kid that was very impulsive. In, in time out, five, six, seven times a day. And the principal came to me and she said, I want you to start working with this kid and mentoring him. I said, mentoring? I mean, you, you're kidding me. Every other word will be, you know. She said, do it. So I did it. And the first thing I did was I made five laminated cards. And they said that phrase on it. And on the back it said, what do you think about? Think about the consequences to what you're going to say or do. So I gave this to him. And I put one, I taped one on his binder. I taped one on his homeroom desk. I taped one on his locker. I taped one. I told him to put one on his bulletin board where he does his homework. And put one in your pocket or your wallet when you get older. The kid just graduated about five years ago from Columbia University. Wow. And he still has the laminated thing in his wallet. Wow. Okay. And in one year he went from being in timeout, I think, seriously, and you know, don't quote me on the number, but I'm I'm very close. Up to a hundred times in one year in wow. timeout, down the very next year. Because I worked with him all summer long, too. The very next year, he was in timeout six times.
1: That's because fantastic. All
2: he did is every time he was ready to, he saw this sign right here. You know, it was, it was right there. So, we as parents in the stands, you know, we got to control ourselves. You got to be in a situation where you understand that the coach that's coaching your kid is human, he makes mistakes. The umpire makes mistakes. Okay. Kids are not at that level. They're not working for a scholarship. They're not. Sure. They're out sure. there to have fun. fun. And when you right. don't make it fun, you know, I was never a believer in talking to my kids coming home from a game about all the things they did wrong. Right. If you're going to talk about anything. Talk about the things that they did right. And if you can't find anything, make it up. All right. right. But understand that you're going to have to learn from what you did. And I say to all my college kids, what did you learn from today's win? Oh, it was great. It was fun. No, what'd you learn? What uh, you learn? I said, right, exactly. You don't learn anything from your wins, okay? Right. But what'd you learn from last week's loss? Oh my God, we got to run the bases better. You know, we got to be able to field ground balls. And you're actually right. So we learn from our mistakes. Right? Sure, is not Absolutely. about being right every time,
1: and I'm right. very we, seldom if, if, right. If we're not making mistakes, we're not learning. That's something that I exactly live by. Right. Exactly right. to be right. One of the things you you had just mentioned about you know about parents, and I don't know if you're if you're familiar with it's a letter that was written to parents. It was by Mike Matheny, who played yeah, for the yeah. you know manager for the Cardinals. Yep.
2: Oh yeah, You, know, I read, it.
1: you read it. Yeah. Is that the greatest thing on the face of yes, the earth?
2: Yes, it, it actually is. I mean, and it, I it's in it's in one of his books or in his book. Yes. And
1: yes, I, I I have the book. I have the book. Yeah. And that's that was something that I read years ago. And it changed the way I looked at coaching from, from what I tell my parents. And one of the things that he said in that letter was that parents should be a silent source of encouragement for the exactly. players. Now, how brilliant is that? All right. And a if silent if, source. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, just sit there and basically is all I need you to do is clap. That's it. I don't need right. anything. And right. I I will tell parents in my um in my preseason meeting that, first of all, I go through a little story and I, I talk about football. And real quickly, what I'll tell them is every Monday morning, I'll say everybody watch football. Right. And every, you know, everybody's hand goes up and I'll say, OK, so Monday morning, what are you guys doing? What are you talking about? How bad the coach is, and the coach should have punted, and the coach should have went for it on fourth down, and he should have done. Right. He's an idiot, and this and that. I said you are talking about the people that are the best in the world at what they do, and they're making millions of dollars to do it, yeah. and you guys are beating them up. So. I'm not dumb enough to believe that you're not doing it to me because I know you are, you're doing it to me, but please do me a favor. You can go and you can beat me up when you're amongst yourselves and talk how bad I am and how terrible and how, you know, I should have bunted here and I should have done that. Do me one favor. I'm going to ask you, don't do it in front of my players, please. Right. And then the room gets silent (laughs) because they know they do it.
2: I'm going to tell you a quick story. We were, Zach was playing for Fairlawn High School, and they just received this great new coach from Bergen Catholic. Bergen Catholic is a big powerhouse yeah. here in Bergen in, sure. County, in New Jersey, in yep. a, in in the country actually. Yes. Right? And this coach came over to Fairlawn, and he knew baseball. He didn't have you know he didn't have a great personality, but he was he really was very knowledgeable, very witty, very. And one of my son's best friends' dad was. Um, you know, into baseball. And the kid's father, my son's friend's father, got on the board of it to protect his son. Now, we all know what a board of wow. is and a helicopter parent. Well, he was being a helicopter parent. He was going to make sure that his son got what he needed and nobody was going to affect him along the way. And we didn't believe that this kid should have been on the starting lineup in varsity. But the father got the coach's ear. And, you know, and that happens, Jim. It happens all the time. And my wife and I are both teachers. Sue's a teacher at, at Fallon High School. And I start talking to my wife, just, you know, under my breath. So nobody could really hear us. And we're away from mostly everybody. But the coach's wife, who we had no clue, was sitting four feet from us. Oh, Never turned oh, around and look back at us. Never the very next day I get a call and the AD says, Hey, get get into my office before practice today. I said, all right, okay. all right. So I walk in and there's the head coach. And he looked at me and he says, I'm very disappointed in you. I said, Why? What what did I do? I mean, I didn't hit anybody. He said, Well, when you were talking in the stands last night about how you thought I was playing favorites and everything. Um I said, "Oh my God, what?" He goes, "My wife was sitting next to you." Oh so God! I said, so I called her and I apologized to her, and I apologized to the head coach, and I said, "I'm so sorry, but you know we've been living with this kid and his father for since he was six years old, and we just watch it." And I I even had a talk with the kid's father as a friend, and Everywhere that kid went, this guy just hovered over him and just made sure nobody met. Even to the point that, you know, I mean, so I was wrong, you know, and I did most of the talking. My wife wasn't, I was just, you know, but I was, nobody that I knew was around me, you know, Right. I didn't know her, I never met her. (laughs) Right, right. And it's embarrassing. And I learned my lesson that time. I mean, you know. I have bad thoughts during, you know, when coaches made bad decisions or they didn't make a decision that I thought I, I would have made, you know, and that happens. It's part of life. That, but you know what? Keep it to yourself. You're exactly right. What you said to your parents, keep it to yourself. You know, another yeah. thing like Rick talked about the other day, this is one more topic. We, you know, I wanted to get this in before we end, but we we he talked about the parents and and, and things like that. And the decisions that we make as parents, and I'm a strong believer in that. Listen, parents have problems if they feel their kids, is, their kid is not being treated fairly, and then the most common reason for not being treated fairly is they're not playing. So automatically, the parent thinks, "Oh, you have something against my kid." Well, we don't. Your kid doesn't belong in the lineup right now, or whatever the case may be. So. I remember when I moved from Fairlawn, when I left Fairlawn after my first stint as a softball coach, I went up to a school, a small deep, uh, um, a group one school, very small school, Park Ridge, very elite, you know, upper class. And I figured, you know what? I'm going to solve some problems here. I'm going to make a contract up and I'm going to have the parents sign it. I'm going to have the kids sign it. I'm going to have the athletic director sign it and I'm going to sign it. Okay. And I had my three golden rules and the two, number one and two were this, don't ever speak to me about playing time. And don't ever mention another kid's name in a meeting that we have. If you do, the meeting is completely over, okay? And the third one was, if there is a problem, make sure it comes to me first. If you can't do that and you have to go over my head, I have no respect, because you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, it can always be worked out. Yes. You're not allowing me the opportunity to work out a problem that I might not even know exists, but you do. You're not being fair, because if I have a problem with you, OK, I'm not going to your boss at work. I'm going to go directly to you. Right. So give me the courtesy of the same thing. And if I can't right. solve it, go to whoever you want. Right, and that's the way I played it, and it worked for years and years and years. And
1: and that hard. and that's that's the way it should be. I mean, I I live by that rule too. If there's a problem, I want you know the parent to come to me first, so that I can try and resolve the issue. And right. if I can't, again, then then you have to take it above me. Then that that that's fine. That's fine. But, yes, but if I can't help it. I mean, it. right, and I'm sure you'll agree with me. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, the, the coach we'll be able to nip it in the bud. It doesn't have to go any further. right? Well, we're, we're running towards the end here. And I just had one more thing that I wanted to to ask you. And we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I I think it's something important. And I'd like to get your view on how would you, or what suggestions would you have for parents on how to find the right coach for their kid?
2: Well, here's the first thing that I would say to that. First of all, word of mouth, walk around to people that have played for that coach, okay? If you get two people that say, oh, he was nasty, don't go to that coach. Go find a different coach, okay? Go find a different team. If you're getting everybody to say, oh, he was the greatest thing, then you go one step further. Was your kid a starter or was your kid on the bench? You know, was your kid a bench player? And if they say, well, my kid was a bench player, but he still loved the coach, now you got yourself a coach. You know, and it doesn't mean that he's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread either. Ask the coach, talk to the coach and say, listen, my son is being looked at maybe by a couple club teams. He wants to play some club ball. This might be his first experience with club ball. What can you offer my son? And ask this question as a person, not as a player. Okay, what can you offer my son as a person? You know, what do you do for him to? to teach him how to be a kid, how to be a good kid, because in my eyes, that's what I teach. That's how I coach now. I mean, I'm always, you know, I get letters from my kids that I've had in the past, you know, coach, you've taught me so much about life. I mean, that's the first thing they say, not that I was a great coach, but what I taught him about life, you know, Oh, you were the best coach ever. And what you taught me about the life lessons was, you know, and parents listen, if they know that there's a coach that does that, has that philosophy, how could you go wrong? You know, right? I mean, it's always that one that slides through that puts on a good act or puts on a good show. But do research. Find out about what this coach has done in the past. Why is he here? Why? You know, what's the reasons that he's here? You know, picking a team. Is it a lot of money? You know, I mean, but picking well, the coach himself, even a private coach, go on reputation, go on. You know, go on, yeah. Listen, when we look for my wife, looks for a hotel and we're going to go away, she goes and looks at all the comments that people made about it. She won't sure. go to a hotel without looking about, looking to see what the comments were, you know. And what if she gets one or two that is not good, can't it, right? And it's the same thing you do with a coach, you know. Well, and so- it doesn't mean that he's a bad person, he just might not be a good fit for what you're looking for your son to get out
1: of record. your son right so the one of the things you said is you said to to look at what he's done would you say when you're looking at what he he's done are you looking at his win loss record no not at all no nope. okay good no. As okay the kid got on to college did he great you
2: know did he move on and develop to the point where as a person and as an athlete to get to the next level how many kids you know we have a program that worked side by side with me at Fred Hill Academy, big, big girls um, club program. And these guys, these people, decent coaches, not the greatest, the pitching, the the girl that does the pitching is excellent, you know, but the guy who does the hitting, you know, he's, he's, he knows his stuff. He really does. And we, we agree on a lot of things, but so many people talk so highly about that program. And these kids don't get to good schools. They don't get to, you know, high levels and stuff like that. And that's okay if that's what they're looking for. But make sure that those kids are being developed as kids, as people. Not, you know, listen, there's a, there's an old saying, you know, and I'm, I'm recruiting a kid right now. You can look this kid up. I'm recruiting a kid right now. He's playing at Harper College in Illinois, junior college. This kid is is it. I mean, this kid has it all. He's right. a third baseman. He hits for power. Last year, he hit at the college level. Good college conference. He hit 469. Okay? Wow. He had, I think, 160 at-bats. He had 70, 79 or 80 hits, and half wow. of them were extra base hits. So, wow. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So... I'm recruiting this kid to Ole Miss, to Clemson, to uh, University of Tampa, East Tennessee State. He'll play wherever he wants. But play. now what we're working on is I'm preparing him mentally. So sure. the funny thing about it is his uncle called me and asked me if I could do him a favor. Can I help recruit this kid? So the first thing I did was I found out what the kid is mentally. Is he a positive kid? Or is he a negative kid? You know, because, hey, listen, I could be the best baseball player in the world. But if I come in and I'm a cancer to your program, because I'm a mental case, you know, you're ruining things. And I mean, I'm reading a book right now by John Gordon. I mean, I read The Energy Bus. I hope you read that. OK, um, I'm reading The uh, the Power of Positive Leadership right now by John Gordon. And, you know, there's a such thing as what we call a, a, an energy vampire. They suck the energy out of your program. And, it, you know, it's like the old bad apple rule. You know, you throw a bad apple into a good apple, all the good apples turn bad. But if you right. throw a if you throw a good apple into the bad apple thing, the good apple turns bad. So right. you don't want that in your program. You don't want right. it at all. So when you when you look at it, when you say, you know, what do you look for? What he's done? I don't care about his wins losses. I care what kind of kids he developed. What kind of kids came out of that program? Did they move on and and become good citizens? Or you know. And the only right. way you're gonna find that out, Jim, is to ask questions, do your research. You know, right. most of these club teams have rosters that go back 10 years. You can look back sure. just like just like college and high school. I can look back at the high school records from 15, 20 years ago. Well, these club programs have the same websites, probably more advanced than ever. You can go back and look up a kid and call the parent. What did you think of this coach? I'm thinking of having sure. my son play. Do the research, do the research.
1: Sure. Yes, you're right. There is there is a trail, so to speak, because there's oh, hundreds of kids you can go there's and ask. Always them. a trail. There's always yeah. a closet, you know.
2: And if yeah. you do enough research, you'll find the closet. Listen, and I'm going to say this, and I don't even like talking about this. Everybody thought that Sandusky was the best thing since sliced bread. Okay, and Good think point. about what this guy has done. Okay, Good point. the 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 doctor, Olympic gymnastic doctor you know everybody trusted he what what that what that jerk did is that he got all their trust and respect and then abused them okay? sure and and half of them thought what he was doing was perfectly okay yeah there are people out there and if you don't do your research you're never going to find stuff like that out
1: right so it's just like anything else make sure you do your homework and sure that's how you find time. yeah that's um that's sound Definitely. advice yeah so all right, Jack. I mean, I'm just uh, excited. This was this was a a, a great conversation. This great, uh, time flying. you having fun. I mean, if it was up to me, you know, this would be a two hour show. But <laughs> at some point, I have to cut it off. So, I I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I
2: appreciate you having me.
1: I really and, do. You know, we'll we'll stay in touch, and you know, probably get you back on somewhere down the line. You have taught me many things over the years. And, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll keep the conversation going. Sounds great, Jim. Thank you so much.
0: So there you have it, Jimmy's in-depth interview with Jack Smithlin. I uh, thought it went great, Jimmy. What'd
1: you think? Yeah, I, I thought it was a great discussion that we had. There were a lot of things that we covered there that through the years I've learned to be true and Jack kind of reinforced everything that I believe. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it was a great conversation.
0: No, it really wasn't. It's something, uh, there's a great example of how here's somebody, he's, you know, he's an older guy. He's been doing this I said over 45 years, uh, way longer than you and I. And he talks about how he's had to change with the times and how he does things wildly differently today than he did when he started. And it's something you and I talk about all the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've used the term growth mindset. And all coaches need to have that growth mindset. Otherwise, you're, you're dead in the water. So as time goes by, yeah, you're going to have to adapt and learn new methods, new procedures, new ways of doing things. And I think that Jack showed that over the 40 plus, 45 years plus that he's been coaching, that this is, in fact, true.
0: Yeah. And, and it works because otherwise, listen, we know how things go. He's, he's coaching at the college level. If he wasn't successful, if he wasn't somebody that was helping to bring in good players, he wouldn't be there. Exactly. You know, they, they would have found a way to, to, to get rid of him somewhere along the line if he was still coaching and doing things the way he was probably even 10 years ago or 20 years ago, much less 45 years ago. You know, the, the days of the old hard ass, uh, my way or the highway coach, obviously, for the most part, are gone. I think we do still see some of that with the uh, these long term college programs um but in terms of most of our audience the the local coaches the travel ball coaches just just can't have it that way anymore
1: yeah and 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 one of the things that we did discuss there which you know that I believe in because I tend to be well I don't want to say I tend to be I'll say I can be a tough coach and I will be hard on my players however one of the things that I think Jack brought out was yes you can be a hard coach yes but there are ways to do it the right way.
0: Yeah. You also have to, you have to balance it out is really what it boils down to. That's, that's what you guys talked about. Like, yeah, it it doesn't mean you're going to, you're not going to, you're not going to try to correct their behavior or their actions, but it means you also have to, like you talk about all the time, you got to let them know you also love the, you also love them and you're looking out for them.
1: Very big part of it. Yes. Yeah. So,
0: so no, I thought it was a great exchange and, uh, I'm sure we'll have him back again at some point. Like we talk about with most of our guests, this is just, uh, you know, it's, it's the evolution of the show and it's an evolution of hopefully what our audience uh, can take in, in terms of changes that they can make and, and, or reinforcing the good, positive um, actions that they're taking right now. So I, I thought it was great. So on that note, we'd like to just, again, thank everybody for staying with us. Thank everybody for tuning in. Write us at clearingthebases at gmail.com. You know our Twitter at the CTB show and uh, let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any suggestions for future guests. If you'd like to be on the show, feel free to reach out to us. We do have a pretty good list that we're working through in terms of upcoming guests, but we want the show to keep going and growing. So um, we're always looking for ideas. So always keep in mind, the only two things in this life that we can control are our own effort and our attitude. Go into everything with a positive mental attitude, PMA. Give everything 100% effort. Great things are going to follow. Final thoughts, Coach?
1: Yeah, I want to thank Jack for coming on the show. And I think a lot of the conversation proves what I always say to everybody. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you on the next one.